Attention, all troops. She's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rockerless. Do you remember when you were a kid and you would go to the toy store? and look at all the toys just sitting there, especially something like an action figure, where they would just have these long pegs filled with figures. And you thought, one day, I'm going to have all of those. Then you grow up. And for many people, those things don't become as important. So once you have the means to actually buy all those wonderful figures, you often don't, with some exceptions. I had a lot of jobs as a teenager, and I was constantly saving my money for various things. I would occasionally buy toys, especially newer ones, when they came out that interested me. But the dream of buying a lot of figures seemed to have been deferred. That was until I was in a KB toy store and was walking past the Willow toys. I had actually collected the Willow toys. I really enjoyed the movie and thought this was going to be everyone's favorite movie and they're going to expand this toy line. They didn't. And that is why when I was at the toy store that day, everything was on clearance. Now, I had bought clearance toys before, but on that day, I was struck with this impulse. And I went and got a cart, and I just took everything they had. Everything. It was irrational. I knew that Willow wasn't that popular. I knew that they weren't going to make more of them based on this clearance pricing. But at that moment, I had just enough money to buy a bunch of clearance toys, and I did. I walked out of that KB toy store with two big bags of Willow toys. When I got home, my mother and sisters thought I was crazy, but I didn't care. This defied logic at this point. I was living a dream. I brought them upstairs. I opened a few, especially the ones in the worst packaging. And the rest, I hung around and displayed them. Slowly but surely, the display whittled down and went into boxes, eventually disappearing almost completely from my life. But this purchasing of clearance toys was now something that I realized I really enjoyed doing. It was the fulfillment of a childhood fantasy in an affordable way. And I would do this again when they released toys for the animated Tick series that they put out and some other toys along the way. None of them would be as special as the ones I bought for Willow, mostly because I really liked Willow when it came out. And I was alone in that opinion. My friends didn't like it. Most of the people I had met didn't really enjoy it, but I did. And I think many people would agree with me, and the film would become a cult classic that holds up and continues to inspire. So on today's show, I'd like to talk to you about a movie that inspired a toy-buying habit, Willow. We'll talk about the people in front of and behind the camera. We'll talk about its reception, its music, some of the things they did after Willow. And we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
Willow is a fantasy movie directed by Ron Howard, and the story was created by George Lucas, and the screenplay was written by Bob Dolman. It was released in 1988, and it starred Warwick Davis, Val Kilmer, Joanne Whaley, and Gene Marsh. The origins of Willow, according to Lucas, go back to 1972. Now, for those of you not familiar with George Lucas, George Lucas was born in 1944. He is a legendary director, producer, screenwriter, some would say creative visionary, best known for creating the Star Wars and Indiana Jones franchises. He would create LucasArts, Lucasfilm, and Industrial Light Magic. He would direct just a handful of films, all of which have dominated the box office whenever he's released them. So, a bit of a legend. Back before Lucas was making all of these great movies, he was thinking about movies and thinking about stories and wanted to come up with were basic ideas for storylines that would appeal to a wide audience, especially of younger viewers. That is where Star Wars came along. But he also had an idea of a magical world where the main protagonist is a little person. According to what I read, the concept for Willow started in 1972, and he had the idea originally calling it Munchkins, but the basic idea he had of using a little person in the lead role would be the glue that held the entire thing together. And we'd seen sort of similar stories, say, in The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, but according to Lucas, a lot of my movies are about a little guy against the system, and this was just a more literal interpretation of that idea. When he was making Return of the Jedi in the early 80s, he met a young actor, Warwick Davis, who was a little person, and thought Warwick would be perfect for the lead in this movie that he would like to make. Now, this was 82, 83. Unfortunately, visual technology wouldn't be what he would like it to be to make a fantasy movie. So it would be delayed for about half a decade. But Lucas himself would not do the directing of the film. That would fall to director Ron Howard. Ron Howard was born in 1954. He is another very well-known director, screenwriter, producer. He was also an actor, most famously playing Opie on the Andy Griffith Show and Richie Cunningham on the TV show Happy Days. He would work with Lucas in 1973 on his really excellent coming-of-age film, American Graffiti something that would inspire the TV show Happy Days. So we come full circle. Howard has been directing films, doing pretty well. He had directed the film Cocoon in 1985, and that had quite a lot of visual effects in it. And that brought him to Industrial Light and Magic, which, as I mentioned, George Lucas had created. While there, he started to talk to Lucas about this concept for Willow. And basically, Lucas approached him to direct it. He agreed. And so then they just needed to get a screenplay written and get funding. Lucas had come up with the story. Howard thought that Bob Dolman should write the screenplay. Dolman had worked mostly on TV. He was born in 1949. He is a screenwriter, director, actor, producer. Done a lot of work on TV. But he would work on a few screenplays, most notably Willow and Far and Away. Lucas knew him for his work on the excellent sitcom WKRP in Cincinnati. And... That show was popular enough and well-respected enough to get him the job of writing Willow. Because of his background in comedy, 
Willow has a nice light sensibility about it and quite a few jokes that work really well. So the team is coming together, but there's a problem. During the 80s, a few fantasy movies, and I'm talking big budget fantasy movies, were released, including Krull, which I covered on an episode recently, Dragon Slayer, Legend, and Labyrinth. All had had decent budgets, all had been pretty unsuccessful. So most of the major studios turned down investing in the movie. Lucas would approach his old friend Alan Ladd Jr., who had been at 20th Century Fox when they greenlit Star Wars, but was now at MGM. He would advance $35 million for the theatrical and television rights to Willow, but that wasn't enough for the movie. And so Lucas would approach RCA Columbia Pictures, and they would pay $15 million for the home video rights. So a bit more of a complex package in financing, but it also showed the power of home video at the time, which was growing tremendously and was getting more and more valued. Filming began in April of 1987 and would carry on until October. They had filming locations all over the place. They would film in New Zealand, the United States, Ireland, the UK, and they even did some photography that they used in the film near China. So quite an interesting filming production in terms of locations. The majority of the studio work, though, was done in England. Willow begins with some intro text that really explains the world, and it went a little something like this. It is a time of dread. Seers have foretold the birth of a child who will bring about the downfall of the powerful queen Bavmorda. Seizing all pregnant women in the realm, the evil queen vows to destroy the child when it is born. So, a useful plot, kind of a timeless, where a monarch is afraid of a child that is going to be born and says, let's get rid of all of them. The movie starts with the birth of this child in a dungeon, and the midwife who helped deliver the child and sees the special rune birthmark on the baby takes it upon herself to run away with the baby. And I just want to say, what a midwife. She goes above and beyond for this baby, taking it out, running for weeks, months, from these hounds that are chasing her before finally getting cornered and having to put the baby on a raft made of grass that she floats into the river before the dogs descend upon her. So a pretty heroic midwife. In fact, if the movie ended here, they should have just called it Midwife. And it would be a pretty impressive movie because if you're running away from hounds for months, keeping a baby alive in the forest, it seems like a challenge. Queen Bavmorda sends her daughter, Sorsha, and an army headed by her general, Kale who wears this really cool skeleton mask, really scary looking. In this world that we have come into, where Willow is set, there are Dakini, who are tall people, and Nelwyn, who are little people. There are also brownies and all sorts of other fantasy creatures and magic. This baby is Dakini, and when it floats down, it runs up into a Nelwyn village that is having a festival. A farmer named Willow Ufgood and his family find the baby and take it in. Now Willow would like to become a sorcerer and has what it takes, but lacks confidence. And we learn that in a ceremony where they're trying to select a apprentice for the sorcerer of the village played by Billy Barty. And Willow is about to answer this riddle correctly, but doubts himself. The sorcerer wizard sees this, notices it, and basically tells him, you just got to have some faith in yourself, and you'll make a great wizard someday. 
the village is attacked by the hounds and they are repulsed by the warriors of the village. It is decided that this baby needs to be delivered back to its own people. A group is selected to go out and do that. They go to a crossroads where they meet a mercenary trapped in a cage who's done some bad things. His name is Mad Mardigan, but he is Dakini. And they think, well, we got to get rid of this baby. So let's give him to this Mad Mardigan. Willow reluctantly gives the baby to Mad Mardigan after they free him from his cage. Now the fairy queen has been looking for this baby. And this baby now we know is called Elora Dannon, who is going to be the princess of Tyr Aslin. These are all local terms. When you watch the movie, you got a lot of mythology to learn. Since this is the baby that's foretold, the fairy queen sends her brownies, which are these little comedic creatures. They look like humans, but they're tiny. The visual effects are not great on them. They do not hold up well. The green screen, the matching, it's a bit off. Still, their comic relief can be really funny at times, and they did cast some great people in the role. They had snatched the baby from Mad Mardigan. It turns out the baby has chosen Willow to be its protector. The fairy queen gives him a magic wand and tells him he needs to go find the enchantress Finn. Willow makes the journey with the baby alone, along with two of the little brownie guys, Frangine and Rule, who will act as comic relief. He re-encounters Mad Mardigan. Along the way, they encounter the army with Sorsha and Kale. Sorsha and Mad Mardigan become infatuated with one another. We see Willow start to learn to come to grips with magic. And he's been given some magic acorns by the wizard from the beginning. We see those get in use, but we also see his confidence developing. Now, there had been a scene cut from the film where we learn Sorsha's motivation for turning against her mother, which in the final cut of the film appears to be love for Mad Mardigan. But we get more of an understanding of why in the cut scene where we learn that Sorsha's father had been frozen by Bav Morda, the mother, and the father pleads with her to help stop the evil Bav Morda, and that would have changed a lot in the story. There's an army that comes together. We meet some other heroes. Eric, who's played by Richie Cunningham's older brother, Chip, from Happy Days, in a really interesting bit of casting. There's all these fights. Mad Mardigan becomes a hero. Sorsha goes up against her mother. Bav Morda, though, is very powerful, and we think that Evil is going to triumph, but Willow is confident in not the magic that he has in his wand and his magic acorns that were given to him, but the sleight of hand magic that he's been practicing his whole life. Not real magic, but trickery. And he does trick Bavmorda using some sleight of hand and wins the day. Willow returns home in triumph on his way to becoming a powerful wizard himself. Mad Mardigan and Sorsha adopt Alora, and everybody is happy. Now I want to circle back to some of those visual effects. The brownie stuff is not great, but they do use CGI morphing in this film. One of the earliest examples of it. And it's really good for magic when you're turning people into other creatures. So you turn someone into a goat and the morphing technology we take for granted now where the person sort of turns into one was really pioneered on this film. That was done by computer with the computer creating the smooth transition between the two shots. This would be utilized in many films after this, including Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and probably most famously, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. From George Lucas. 
from Ron Howard comes the next great adventure. Willow, coming in May to a theater near you. Now a little bit about the cast of the film. I'll try to touch on the major characters, but this is another one of those films that has a massive cast. Warwick Davis played Willow Ufgood, who is a Nelwyn, wants to be a wizard, and he is the chosen protector of Alora Dannon. Warwick Ashley Davis was born in 1970. He's an actor and filmmaker, most well-known for playing the title role in this film, Willow, and his work in the Leprechaun series of films. He would also play a few characters in various Star Wars films, most notably the Ewok Wicket. He would also become known to a new generation for his appearance in the Harry Potter films. Statistically, because of all of the films he's been in, the Star Wars and Harry Potter films, he is the highest grossing supporting actor of all time when you factor in cameo appearances. So movies that Warwick Davis appear in make money. Unfortunately, even though Warwick Davis was the star of this movie by a long shot, he did not get top billing. That went to Val Kilmer, who was considered a bigger star at the time. George Lucas has never been happy about that, but it's not unusual. Christopher Reeve, who played Superman, you know, the star of Superman, was billed third in the Superman films after Gene Hackman and Marlon Brando. You also see that in Apocalypse Now, where Martin Sheen is billed third after Brando again and Robert Duvall. And then Martin Sheen's son was in Platoon, where he's the lead, and he gets billed after Tom Berenger and Willem Dafoe. So not unusual, just unfortunate, just the way Hollywood works. Val Kilmer played Mad Martigan, who is a really talented swordsman, bit of a jerk, but maybe more of an anti-hero with a heart of gold, sort of the Han Solo of the film. Val Edward Kilmer was born in 1959. He was originally a stage actor, but would appear in two really solid comedies from the mid-80s, Top Secret and Real Genius, then would appear in Top Gun, and finally in Willow in 88. His career would not, of course, stop there. He was in the movie The Doors, he got to play Batman, The Saint, and many, many other films. John Cusack was actually up for the role of Mad Mardigan and lost it to Kilmer. Said in an interview he wasn't happy with that. He thought he should have landed it. Would have been a very different movie with John Cusack instead of Val Kilmer. Joanne Whaley played Sorsha, who was the warrior daughter of Bab Morda and would eventually turn against her mother. Whaley was born in 1961, began acting in 1974, did lots of movies, lots of TV shows. She would meet and fall in love with Val Kilmer, and they would get married. They would have two children together. Unfortunately, it would not last, and they would divorce in 1995. She had taken a break when she had children to raise them, but has since began working again. Jean Marsh played Queen Babmorda, the main villain and heavy of the film. She's a powerful sorceress. Jean Lindsay Torin Marsh was born in 1934, an actress and writer with quite a resume. Her movie work includes Cleopatra in 63, Frenzy in 72, The Changeling in 1980, Return to Oz in 1985, and many more. Patricia Hayes played Finn Raziel, who is a aging sorceress who was cursed by Bav Morda into a brush-tailed possum and needs Willow to help her. A very long career. She passed away in 1998, got her start in radio, did television work. Movies you might know her from would include The Neverending Story in 1984 and A Fish Called Wanda in 1988. Billy Barty played the High Aldwin, 
a Nilwyn wizard who is the one who gets Willow to go on his journey, seeing that Willow possesses the ability to be magical. Billy Barty was born William John Bertonzetti in 1924, passed away in 2000, probably one of the most well-known little people actors of all time. He was working for decades, appearing in movies and television, often in comedic roles. He was an activist for little people and founded the Little People of America organization in 1957 after seeing that rights of people who have dwarfism were not being taken seriously. A group that had less than two dozen people when it started has grown into a group of several thousand. Pat Roach played General Kale, passed away in 2004, made appearances in the Indiana Jones films. Really cool character in this film, mostly based on his costume, which has a skull for a helmet. Really great looking stuff. Gavin O'Herlihy is Chuck Cunningham from Happy Days, who I mentioned earlier. He plays Eric Thaubert, who is a military commander of the Kingdom of Galadorn. He has a friendship with Mad Mardigan and gives his life doing his duty in the film. It's just neat to see him. Once you notice him in this film, you'll start seeing him in lots of other places. He was in Death Wish 3, Never Say Never Again, Superman 3. Not always the greatest films, but he worked. Sadly passed away in September of 2021. Rounding out the cast, you had Maria Holvo as the Fairy Queen, Kevin Pollock and Rick Overton as Rule and Frangine, the Brownies, the comic relief, David J. Steinberg as Migush, Mark Northover as Burglecut, great, great character actor in this film, Julia Peters as Kaya Ufgood, Willow's wife, and the baby, Alora Dannens, were played by Kate and Ruth Greenfield and Rebecca Behrman. Music in this film is wonderful, and that's no surprise since it was written by James Horner and performed by the London Symphony Orchestra. There's a great quote from Horner about this film. He says, I'm a musicologist, a doctor of music. Therefore, I listened to, studied, and analyzed a lot of music. I also enjoy metaphors, the art of quoting, and of cycles, the harmonic draft of the Willow score and most particularly its spiritual side, came from such a cycle, from such mythology and music history that I was taught, and that I myself convey with my own emotions and compositions. There's a lot of influences on the score from classical pieces, including works by Schumann, and various folk music. A really fun soundtrack to listen to, very moody, very inspiring. James Ray Horner was born in 53 passed away in 2015 in a plane accident. He's an award-winning composer and conductor of many film scores, known for his use of choral and electronic elements. His first film was the 1979 film The Lady in Red, but he would become more well-known when he worked on Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and then developed a relationship with James Cameron, working on a lot of his films, including major blockbusters like Titanic and Avatar, but those are just two massive successes in a series of great work, including Field of Dreams, The Rocketeer, Aliens, The Amazing Spider-Man, and much more. He was only 61 when he passed away, flying his turboprop aircraft. It was too soon. He had a lot more great work in him. The film was originally shown at the Cannes Film Festival in 1988 and then would be released on May 20th, 1988 in 1,209 theaters. 
and would earn $8.3 million its opening weekend. That made it number one at the box office, so a good start. The hope was really big for this, that it might gross as much as something like E.T., but there was competition, mostly in the form of sequels in Crocodile Dundee 2 and Rambo 3, but also in the, I want to say, surprise hit big. It would go on to only gross $57.3 million at the box office in the U.S., and was not a blockbuster. It would go international, opening in Japan that July, and doing pretty well there. It was the highest grossing film in Japan at the time, and performed much better in international markets than it did in the United States. Worldwide, it would make $137.6 million, and then would do pretty well with the television sales and a great home video release, adding to its profits, inevitably making the film decently profitable. And of course, that sort of long-term exposure gets a whole new generation interested in the film who might not have seen it in the theater. Heroes come in all sizes. But adventure doesn't come any bigger than this. Willow. Whoa! Coming in May to a theater near you. So, what else was playing when Willow came out? I have printed out movie here put it on a big piece of paper so i can read it here so in my neck of the woods that week the old fourplex had finally shut down in my area and so we only had a sixplex and an eightplex which is pretty good at the sixplex which is where older films generally were you had friday the 13th part 7 the new blood beetlejuice salsa which was playing in two theaters so all salsa no waiting white mischief and colors in the Aplex, which is where I saw this film, they had Maniac Cop, Willow in 70mm, Midnight Crossing, Slaughterhouse Rock, Lady in White, World Gone Wild, Above the Law, and Moonstruck. So, some pretty good films. I guess I was really into Willow. I didn't see Friday the 13th, The New Blood, until it was on cable. So, of all these films in the theater, this is one of those weeks where... I did not see a lot of these movies when they came out. I certainly saw Beetlejuice. That is the second time I'm saying it. I'm not saying it a third time. Nice try. Reviews in our local paper were not kind to Willow. They gave it just two and a half stars, saying magic moments, but force isn't with Lucas. I think it's funny that Lucas just wrote the story, and Howard directed, and somebody else wrote the screenplay, but still, Lucas is all over it, and all the success or failure, would just be heaped upon him in lots of reviews. I think they're a bit too hard on it. Realizing that this film was made for young people, which they acknowledge at the end, they say this is a good movie, much better than most films made for young people, but then they still act like it's a film that's made completely for adults. So, still, interesting moment in history, and kind of fun to see what my local paper was saying about it. My local paper wasn't alone. Siskel and Ebert gave the film two thumbs down. And even now, on aggregate sites, it doesn't have a particularly high rating. I think that Janet Maslin for the New York Times had a very interesting point to bring up about the film. She praised Lucas's storytelling, liking the story, but was critical of Ron Howard's direction, saying, Howard appears to have had his hands full in simply harnessing the special effects. That's a really good point about the film. They attempt to do a lot of magic in the film. That means special effects. They're using new technology, also trying to pull in old technology. And 
Howard, while a very competent director, was going to find this a challenge. Anyone would have. And so if you're an adult, those things can be distracting. And it also can't help but inform the choices that are made, which in turn can make the film seem a bit disjointed at times. So I don't think these reviewers are unfounded in their criticism, but I do think some of them are misguided in the direction they take with their criticism. The film would be nominated for two Academy Awards, one for sound effects and another for visual effects, but it would lose both to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It would win a Saturn Award for Best Costume Design and get a bunch of nominations there as well. The Raspberry Awards would step up and try to skewer the film as well, nominating it for Worst Screenplay and Worst Supporting Actor. They would lose both of those, or I guess win both of those by losing to Cocktail for Worst Screenplay and Dan Aykroyd for his work in Caddyshack 2. I think the Worst Supporting Actor nomination for Billy Barty was completely unfounded. He's a wizard. He's supposed to be kind of eccentric. The film went to video pretty quickly on November 22nd, 1988. It would get a release on Betamax, VHS, and Laserdisc. And over the years, it would have multiple releases on VHS and Laserdisc. It would eventually make the jump to DVD and then finally on Blu-ray. After the acquisition of Lucasfilm by Disney, Walt Disney Studios has the property and released it on Blu-ray and DVD. And of course, digital streaming in 2019. It is now available to stream on Disney+. Plus. So if you would like to watch the film, you should, because something else is coming in the Willow world and you should prepare yourself. Now relive the magical adventures of the movie Willow with these amazing characters that bring the story to life. There's the heroic swordsman, Matt Mardigan. I'll win this war for you. The evil sorceress, Bap Morda. The dreaded General Kane. I'll crush the rebels. And brave Willow himself. The epic battles, good versus evil. You can bring the magic of Willow home with collectible figures, vehicles, and accessories, each sold separately. Willow, the magic lies within. Before we talk about what is happening in Willow World now, I want to talk to you about some of the other things they created around Willow. One I wanted to start with, which was an attempt was made to create an animated series that never happened, which would have been about Alora Dannon's childhood. I imagine it would have been similar to what Lucas had done with droids and Ewoks, something for Saturday morning. Sadly, it never made it to television. They would release a Willow game. It's an adventure board game based on the film, put out in 1988 by Tor Books. It was designed by Greg Costacan. They would create three video games based on the film. Mindscape put out an action game for the Amiga, Atari ST, DOS, and Commodore 64 and Capcom created two different video games for the film in 1989. Remember, Willow was pretty popular in Japan. One would be a platform game for the arcade, and the other is a Willow role-playing game for the Nintendo Entertainment System. There was a novelization of Willow, written by Wayland Drew, which filled in some background information not in the movie. This included various scenes that would have been in the film, but didn't make it. And you can see some of those in the Making of Willow documentary. If you want to learn more about just the sort of background of the characters in the film, the mythology of the world, you can learn a lot from the novelization as well as the comic miniseries put out by Marvel. The movies might have underperformed, but Lucas wasn't done with the Willow world and instead decided to try to get some books written about the world. 
they would create the Chronicles of the Shadow War, written by Chris Claremont, who is a famous X-Men comic writer. The three books are Shadow Moon, Shadow Dawn, and Shadow Star, and they were published over a five-year period starting in 1995. I've been making my way through them, and they are much darker than the film. The tone is very unusual. Lucas was not happy with how these things turned out. I think he wanted to be more involved with them, but then started production on the Star Wars prequels, and Claremont got to run wild with his outline, and he made a very dark series. They take place 15 years after the original film and feature a teenage Alora Dannon. While the film didn't do well right away, it has slowly gathered steam. In 2005, Lucas began discussing a sequel, and over the years they would mention it, Warwick Davis especially would talk a lot about it. Then Howard got in on the act a little bit later. Eventually, this would find a home, but not in theaters. A sequel television series is in development and should be released pretty soon on the Disney Plus streaming service with Warwick Davis reprising his role. In late 2021, a promo was released promoting the new series. It was announced that in November of 2022, this new series will premiere on Disney Plus. Not a lot of details are known yet, but I'm sure many details will leak in the upcoming months. As a film of the 80s, Willow was hampered with a lack of technological advances that would have made a more seamless film. What it lacks in some of the technical details, it more than makes up for in lightness and performance. It's a feel-good story that's simple for kids to grasp, but it's well-acted and I think well-directed enough to be enjoyed by anyone. And I don't think people disagree with me because there is a sequel coming out very soon. And so if you're looking for something to rewatch, maybe you haven't watched it in a long time, or maybe you've never seen Willow, it's a great film to watch with the family. It's a film that has limitless potential for growth in terms of mythology, and I think you'll like it. Now I just can't wait to see what new toys they have and when they're going to go on clearance. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist and instagram.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitter and Twitch. He's at PeachyPixel8. That's the word Peachy, the word Pixel, and the number 8. Thanks to everyone who's been supporting the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can start by giving it a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you've downloaded this. You can also support the show via Patreon. Patrons of the show get bonus episodes, bonus tracks, bonus scans, access to the Retroist Discord, and much more. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. You are great. This has been a Retroist production. Goodbye.